Hey everybody, this is Tim from Tone Menders. Before we hit the main body of this episode, I have a couple quick notes. You may have noticed it has been over two months since our last episode. This is because myself and the rest of the Tone Menders team have been so swamped with our actual day jobs in audio post that we could not find the time to edit any of the episodes that we had in the pipeline. So in desperation, I sent out a tweet asking for help from the sound community, and the response was amazing. Lots of people reached out offering their services, and we have the machine moving again with lots of amazing episodes coming soon. This is the first of the episodes that we had help with, and Kyle Webb did a fantastic job editing and mixing this one. Kyle is a senior cinematic sound designer currently working at Larian Studios on Baldur's Gate 3. You can connect with him through LinkedIn or find him on other various social media platforms at beacons.ai slash Kyle Webb. That's Webb with two Bs. He was a joy to work with and turned this episode around really quick. Thanks so much, Kyle. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. All of the people who are helping us out with these episodes are doing it for free in their spare time. If anyone listening puts out sound effects libraries or plugins and wants to help us offer the volunteers something for their time, please reach out to info at tonebenderspodcast.com and let us know. We'll be happy to mention it and spread the word of your generosity. Also, I wanted to say thanks to all the people that reached out to congratulate us on hitting our 10-year anniversary since our first episode. It's been a crazy decade doing Tone Benders. We have some plans to do something to mark the occasion eventually, but as I mentioned earlier, we are just all so busy with our day jobs that we've had to put all the plans on hold for a bit. So please keep listening over the next few months as we hope to do something cool with the sound community, but just bear with us for now. Okay, one final thanks to Kyle Webb for his work on this episode. Now, on to the actual show. You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tonebender's Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, series, and games. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host for today as we talk about possibly my favorite new show of the year, The Bear. For most of the world, season one wrapped up back in the spring, but for some reason here in Canada, it didn't wrap until just a couple weeks ago. And I was enthralled from the very first moment of it, and I'm super excited to talk to the sound team behind it. This is a show, it's an episodic drama that really plays to sound to set the tone. The majority of the show takes place in a busy and stressful kitchen in a popular barbecue restaurant in Chicago. The show uses sound to emphasize the chaos in the food prep and by extension the manic emotions charging through the main characters. With us today we have Steve Giamaria, the Bears re-recording mixer and supervising sound editor. Welcome to the Tone Benders, Steve. How you doing, Tim? Excellent. We also have Annie Taylor who is the supervising Foley editor on the series. It's nice to meet you, Annie. Nice to meet you too. Happy to be here. And our third contestant today is Evan Benjamin, who edited the dialogue on the bear. Welcome, Evan. Hi, Tim. How are you? Great to meet you all. Okay, let's talk this out. I tuned into the bear with very little knowledge of it, other than that people had told me not to miss it. I was immediately drawn in by the sound work. There are scenes where not much is actually happening visually, but the sound is making everything super stressful. This is normally the job of a score, but a lot of that weight fell on the audio post team. Steve, why don't we start with you? How did the series showrunner Chris Storr prep you for this task when you first came on board? Well, he had a very specific vision that took me a little while to be on board with, actually, but he was right. So he's a very energetic fellow, very optimistic. And I think one of his first directions in our first spotting session was, and Evan, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was, I want people to turn it off or feel like they want <laughs> to turn it off, which is what he said. <laughs> obviously hyperbole. 
But what he was trying to capture was that stress and nonstop action of the kitchen, which I think they did a very good job. The first AAF I got had a lot of sections with two songs at the same time. I'm like, are these options? Is this the mistake? They're like, no, no, no. We want we want both of those songs playing, which, again, took me a little while to be on board with. But after, uh, you know, we, we hammered it out on the first couple of episodes, I'm like, oh, OK, I get what you're doing here. So let's jump in. And I think it came out pretty well. It definitely did. The stress is palpable. And as much as the sound design did that, the dialogue also did that, Evan. Do you want to talk about how constant yelling going on and people are always saying the most used word in the series is chef, probably, because that ends every sentence, begins every sentence, (laughs) overlaps other people talking. Do you want to talk about how you first saw the first export for you and how you tackled it? I would say a lot of credit goes to Scott Smith because a lot of that show was, you know, there's five or six people yelling at the same time. And typically you might get up, maybe the boom catches some of it and it sounds fuller when everyone, sh- you think it might sound more chaotic, but that's actually worked for him. But you hear every single, when there's all these five or six people yelling and overlapping, every one of them was sort of controllable because they all had lobs that were amazingly in really good shape. And they're all running around, stabbing each other, God, doing God knows what, and still you hear them. And I mean, I'm sure I speak for you. I've been plenty of things I've worked on where someone's sitting at a desk and their lob doesn't work. So this was just brilliant work. And that helped you if, as long as you carve every, all that stuff out and, and keep all the loves tight to the specific, even an exclamation by one character. It had this feeling of fullness and chaos that I don't think you would have gotten if you just had one. Yeah. Uh, although we obviously we did use the boom too, but having, having all that stuff and having it be clean and useful was I think a huge part of it. Yeah, definitely. The tracks by Scott were really great. It would have been a much tougher show had he not done an excellent job. Most of the time in those kitchen scenes, my base layer was the boom, and then I would reinforce with lobs where needed to basically change the mix. Or a lot of times, you know, he's whipping around and, you know, misses the first couple of words or whatever. But it was a lot of boom reinforced with lav in a lot of spots. I don't know the, the exact percentage or anything of where I used boom and lav, but oftentimes, you know, everything was good. You'd think there'd be clipping all over the place with Richie screaming and pot slamming and whatever, but he kept it right in the pocket. And that really set the tone for being able to make this kitchen chaotic and believable. Very little ADR in the show. You just can't recreate a lot of that energy. How did Foley help reinforce that? Because I'm assuming most of the noise we're hearing wasn't actually on set. Annie, do you want to talk about how you approach the Foley? Sure. When We saw the first episode, which was episode two. We didn't work on the pilot. But when we saw that second episode, I thought I was going to throw up. It was so busy. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. This is going to be tons and tons of kitchen stuff and food stuff. And we had a lot of discussions with the artists and the mixers on how we were going to make things not too much and too chaotic. So we of course, did a lot of slamming and banging and tons and tons of loud kitchen stuff. But we tried to mix in some more textural things to play up that food stuff and to play up the surfaces of the stoves and things like that to bring more of the kitchen elements back to earth and keep that elevated stuff going on and then still kind of keep you grounded in with the Foley. It worked really well. Steve, I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit. I wanted to get everybody involved at the beginning, but uh, I'm wondering if we can go into something that you mentioned in uh, an email that when we were emailing, setting this up, you said that you are very much for less dynamics in television. 
I think, you know, having been brought up in sound, as all of you, I think we're all about, oh, yeah, dynamic range is great and, and blah, blah, blah. But in a home environment, watching on your couch at the end of a day, the biggest complaint I get from people when I tell them what I do after the commercials are loud is why, why is there such – they don't know the word dynamic range, but why is there so much dynamic range? It annoys people. Not that you don't want some, you don't want it to be, you know, a brick, but there's some masterful pieces of audio out there that in recent shows that are streaming series that are borderline unwatchable in a home environment without surfing your remote control, which is annoying. It's like, I want to watch if I have a home theater and I'm setting up to watch it. But if I just want to unwind at the end of the day and watch a TV show on my TV, I don't want to have to either worry that I'm going to wake my kid, a valid concern, or surf the remote control in between explosions and then, oh, there's a, you know, there's a quiet moment and it's actually really quiet. Um, not to say folks are doing a bad job because a lot of times it's what the showrunner wants. You know, if that's, if they want dynamics, they're going to get dynamics. On this show, I was able to convince them because they want, hey, I want it loud. I want it loud. I want it loud. I'm like, that's great. I still have to hit the spec. And when they're going from the chaos of the kitchen and then there's that breath outside in the alleyway of two people having a normal conversation. Volume-wise, that dialogue's about the same, honestly. And that's, that's what you need in order to have a comfortable, if we're releasing this in theaters, I'm going to mix it differently. But that's my approach. So I do a couple of different things to, to try and get there. First of all, I mix it 76 instead of 79, just to give myself less headroom. Because if you start getting loud, you're going to just, you're not going to peek out really, or you might. You know, I have my limiters, but you're going to you're just going to be over spec. So if I push a couple loud spots and then I get to the end and, hey, look, I'm negative 21, negative 20 LKFS, then, hey, guess what? I got to go and remix those loud parts to make them quieter. So that forces me a little bit to just mix the whole thing a little less dynamic. And then in the kitchen, I go for sonic density and chaos rather than actual volume to convey loudness. That's my goal. I hope you didn't have to touch your remote while watching The Bear, uh, but if you did, sorry about that. <laughs> I, I never touched the remote once, so uh, good, good job. <laughs> Success. <laughs> so let's talk about the chaos in the kitchen a little bit. We brushed on it in the intros and stuff like that. Steve, in the sound editing, sound design, how did mm -hmm. you go about beyond what we spoke about with the dialogue? Mm -hmm. How do you make that kitchen chaotic? Well, the picture editors, Joanna Nagel and Adam Epstein, who I've worked with before on other projects, you know, they had it temped out pretty well. A lot of that was in the production tracks. If they're in the kitchen, those stoves are on. There's people off screen banging stuff, like not to make sound, but just like they're performing, you know. So so a lot of that's in there as Annie's nodding her head. Yep. <laughs> a lot of that's in there, which, Ooh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, she then covered and then added more and added more. Um, but there were a lot of things that chef specific things that, you know, Chris, the showrunner, Josh Sr., the executive producer, they're like, look, the ticket printer. Ticket printer was a huge thing. Like, that's something that chefs hear in their sleep, like just that ticket printer going off. So there were some episodes, especially, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about episode seven, but just where they're talking about, okay, we're starting for the day, ticket printer starts going off, and like the cadence of the ticket printer, and like all of that sort of stuff. And we'd get notes like, hey, after this line, add a pot bang. I'm like, okay, sure. But just like the rhythm of the kitchen and the chaos of it, they were very aware of like what time of day it was, how hectic it would be at that point, how many people are in the kitchen. <laughs> there are points in the kitchen with, uh, 
with Carmi where it's quiet time in the kitchen. It's after we're closed, he's scrubbing the floor, or he's just listening to music. So time of day, where they are in their routine, was all kind of presented to us as a blueprint. Um, and then just there are portions, you know, with those clock zoom-ins and things like that where they're just like, go to town. And we're like, okay, <laughs> cool. And so, Annie, how do you go about reinforcing the foley that's already there versus coming up with new stuff to put in? A lot of the stuff that we covered that was already there was like the kitchen pots and pans banging around. So we covered all of those things for the M&E. And then where we started really adding stuff was when we got to the food textures. And Leslie, the head artist here, wanted to make sure that we got very specific with the different food textures. So when I was queuing, I would have to cue exactly what it was because he wanted to go out and make sure that it sounded just right. So I'd be like, all right, now this is dill being plucked. And all right, now this is a fish poking. Make sure you get the fish sound. I don't want it to sound like pork man. Don't do that. <laughs> so he was very specific on how he wanted things to sound. And as an editor, I was trying to reinforce those things and make sure those little herb sounds kind of were, you know, different than maybe another herb. And you could hear the little plastic in the to-go's and the tweezers and all those little things. So we tried to make sure that you could hear the little stuff as well as the big stuff, because we knew you would hear the big stuff. That <laughs> wasn't a problem. We wanted to make sure we got those details in there. So this was a Foley job that involved a major grocery store trip. Yes, we had a lot of grocery store runs during this <laughs> season. Yeah, there was a lot. I forget Adam was telling me. I forget. I think they had like eight hours of like food B-roll. Like they did it. They shot a couple of days of just like food B-roll that they could pull from for any episode. So they just, you know, there was a lot of that that they used for transitions. And a lot. I don't think any of that had sound or maybe the frying stuff did. But, you know, obviously you're plucking a piece of dill. You're not going to mm -hmm. hear that. Yeah, no. So, yeah, the, that's where Foley really shined. I mean, a lot of this... The kitchen scenes were almost easier because there's so much going on that it hides a lot of sins. I mean, there's parts where there's there's dialogue overlap. I mean, Evan, Evan, Evan's like, uh, no, maybe not. <laughs> you know, you're saying there's a lot of noise, but every so often there'd be, I mean, I really did look for alts as much as I could when there's a line that, you know, somebody's coming to the end of a phrase and then there's a giant bang and you really do try and find, or get rid of it with RX or try to because, or even minimize it because it's just, it's not just that there's a lot of noise everywhere. It has to be where the noise is, right? It can't, I mean, it really, it, it, going back to somebody watching it at home, if there's a line that seems to really land and yet there's a giant noise at the end, that's, I find that really problematic as opposed to just background stuff. And that happens surprisingly often in that show. When he first tells Sydney, your past, there was a big old pot clang on there. So I think that was what, half that, did you pull an alt for that? I forget. Probably, yeah. I, 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 there was a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sometimes we left it if we didn't have an alt, but you're not always going to bang the pot around the line. But yeah, a lot of it is you still got to get the story across. So if there are five people yelling and there's pots going, you still got to know what's going on. So yeah, there's there, there'd be there's one line that's predominant usually and there's a bunch of other people shouting. So you're trying to make sure that line sticks out and do whatever you can to make it work. And thankfully, we have tools now that mostly can work. But it's I don't I think asking those guys to redo a line and well obviously you couldn't do that if there's five people yelling because they're not going to bring all those people in but i think any adr was highly problematic for them anyway they just didn't want that and they were right like they wanted to keep it what it was so i would look through stuff for extra syllables and i basically drop the entire product all the production tracks into a sound miner and make a database and i just go through them all and it's very easy to just go through every take 
uh, and find stuff. And some of those guys were delivering the lines every time sort of identically and a lot of there was a lot of improv so sometimes you couldn't do it but between that and rx you do what you can and you try to clean out that stuff but a lot of that stuff is just obviously meant to be there i mean there's other scenes like that i mean maybe we'll talk about that scene where, where carmy does that long seven minute monologue but that's the opposite then you're trying to make that as quiet and in a weird way that that was probably the hardest thing to do in the whole series even though it's just one guy sitting in a church not moving because you really want that to be as clean as you can possibly make it. So I probably RX'd almost every line in that thing, just going through it and every every note, you know, just the general thing you do, but there's no other noise happening. And you don't want there to be any noise happening, right? You're nothing's supposed to take away from that. So that's, and that's probably also makes the, the noisy scenes in the kitchen sound louder too, because you've got that contrast. You don't get anywhere without some contrast. So the idea is try to make, you know, maybe in the kitchen scenes, you throw up your hands and say, okay, well, that's, that's just chaos and you're just going to leave it chaos and they want chaos anyway. So that's great. But the spots where you have a chance to make it quiet, you know, really try and do that. It's really impressive the way the show is designed and your work on top of that. Obviously, if you have the full episode in the kitchen with just chaos happening, a viewer's brain can only handle that for so long. And the way the show is laid out is with all these smoke breaks in the alleyway and the uh, sides with his sister and stuff like that. It goes from really loud to, as Steve was saying, I guess it's technically the same volume, but uh, emotionally how you feel while you're watching it. Maybe we'll just say empty and full. Yeah, it, 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 there, there's not a lot of middle ground in the show. <laughs> it's, it's either the yeah. frying pan to the head or the uh, nice calm moment. But So uh, I think Steve mentioned earlier about episode seven, which uh, although I guess technically isn't one long shot, the first like 30 seconds or so, there's definitely cuts in. But then as a viewer, it appears to just take off as one continuous shot. That's got to be a daunting task. There's no alts to dig into there in that situation. Or maybe there are. Maybe they shot the whole thing multiple times. How, how did that come about from the sound end? Well, from, from my perspective, it's actually, I mean, weirdly easier because it's the same thing where you're just like, well, this is what it's going to be. And you try to clean up what you have. And, you know, there's no, yeah, there's not going to be, well, no, they did some other takes, but, you know, they're, that's, they're in the moment. They're doing that thing. That's like a play almost. That's Yeah, I think they did four and a half takes of it, I think. But yeah, that was, I want to say the last take. Uh, I could be wrong. That one, Joanna was the editor. She edited the beginning and end. But they spent a lot of time on sound on that one. They kind of laid out the pace of it, that ticket printer, you know, and, and the mute, you know, it's all scored with one long song for the back half of it, I think, is one song. The thing I liked about that one, obviously another great, great job by Scott Smith. You know, if again, if the sound on that was, was production audio was no good, that would have been, that would have been tough. So Evan was able to lay out, you know, the boom was always kind of focused on what was on camera. And then we had all the lobs. So what I was able to do because it was a oneer, which, you know, you're not able to go crazy with dialogue panning, in a normal show, but this, I kept the boom in the middle, and then if people were walking on and off screen or around the camera or whatever, I would pan their lava around, um, and it really gave you a sense of the kind of the space, uh, and it, it turned out really well. It was kind of an experiment, but, you know, there's a shot where, like, Carmi's walking kind of around the, the counter, and then he goes off to the left, and then he comes back on the right, and I'm able to kind of pan it around the space. There's still a leak in the boom, so it kind of anchors it, so it doesn't sound too too weird, but I thought we were able to kind of do something a little different on that one, which was which was fun, dialogue-wise. And then it's utter chaos at the end, as it always is. <laughs> I was watching that episode with my wife about seven or eight minutes in or something. I just go, there's no edits. 
And she was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I was like, we'll talk later. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> but like, she, it, it, it sneaks up on you. You don't realize it. And it. Like my wife didn't realize it, period. And it took me m- multiple minutes before I realized what was going on. It's done really well. And the sound is obviously what sells it. Yeah, I think a lot of times in TV, like a wonder is a little bit of a gimmick. But in this case, I feel like it lends itself to the story they're trying to tell and the tension of it and the pace of it. There's usually that pace of like, you know, it's a little neurotic and I think it really worked well. It actually elevated the story rather than just like, here's a one because we have, you know, we have digital cameras so we can do it. It actually helped the story, which I think was great. We keep talking about this recorders, but I have to, t- I mean, that was just to be in that kind of a confined space and to move around from place to place in the course of those 15, 17 minutes, that's kind of an amazing feat that they that he was able to sort of keep all that stuff together. Mm-hmm. And there were very Definitely. few rough spots in there. You know, unsuitable. Again, you know, it's like you you work on plenty of things where somebody's being interviewed and they can't do that right. And this guy is <laughs> chasing people down a hallway and someone's stabbing someone. It was just chaos, utter chaos. And yet somehow yeah. mostly intact. Yeah. Obviously there's rough spots because that's just the way those mm-hmm. things work, but pretty impressive. Annie, what was your favorite Foley moment in the show? I would say a lot of my favorite Foley moments are the quiet pieces because we love to do work on hands. And so a lot of my favorite moments that I noticed in the show are, you know, it's not so much a quiet moment all the time, but those super close up moments when we're up on Carmi and he's running his hands through his hair and working with his hands and smoking a lot. We did a lot of skin and hand textures for those moments because we really wanted to stay with Carmi. A lot of times we wanted to be in his head and like just so close to him that you couldn't escape. We wanted to make it feel like you were right next to him all the time. So you could hear his hands, you can hear his hair. And um, those were some of my favorite moments to be like, aha, another close up, let's get it. Besides that, just like the amount of movement that was going on in that seventh episode was such a challenge for us from a Foley standpoint, because when we work on a TV show, usually we rely on those cuts to tell us when to stop walking. And so when <laughs> there isn't any cuts in the in the episode, I'm cueing it and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no, it's cute, it keeps going. And so it was an exercise in like, okay, when do we let somebody go? When do we leave them and you know move on to another prop, move on to another person? It was an interesting exercise in like, what can we do to keep presence on the stage, but also not get in the way and not be too much on, you know, getting things we didn't need. What was the turnaround on these episodes? Was this a tight schedule? For us, yeah. I would say we did, I think we had one or two days of Record Town for each episode. Yeah, the overall schedule was, I like to do a week per episode plus one and just cascade it is my ideal schedule. This was not that. I think the whole thing was maybe seven weeks, but yeah, a little challenging at the end because it all dropped all at once. Nobody wants to actually lock anything. So everything was kind of open until, I don't know, the week before it aired, which was a little challenging. But we we got a week of edit and day and a half of mix and then a half a day of review. It got a little blurry because it was all it was all post for notes. So it, it got a little weird was all post for notes? What what does that mean? Yeah, uh, so this was the first time this had happened to me, and I had mixed feelings about it at the time. I didn't have anybody in the room with me, and we did not do any Clearview sessions. It was all 
I posted on Frame.io, they reviewed it and gave me notes, and, and we did it that way, which I've done with smaller things or commercials or whatever, but never never an actual TV show. With the number of people involved in their schedule and where they were, we just couldn't. Early on, they're like, we're just not going to be able to get together. It's not going to work with the schedule, which I was a little uh, put off by at first, but I had worked with all of these people before. So we all kind of knew what we brought to the table. So, uh, you know, in the end, I kind of realized it was like, oh, they trusted us to kind of do it right because we didn't get a ton of notes. There were some parts where I would have, I think, in the room been able to sell some some crazier ideas. You, you shoot your shot at the beginning. And if they're like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. They had such a clear vision that was temped out very well that, you know, it was just take this, run with it, escalate it, have a couple of spots where, hey, we're going to try something. Sometimes they were like, yeah, that's good. Just do 25% less or whatever and then go from there. So we did a couple of rounds of that and then that was it. It's a weird world now because, you know, before COVID hit, that might not have even been within people's realm of ideas. And now yeah. after COVID, people are like, oh, no, we can do it this way now. And yeah, I, I don't which, know if that's you know, a good I, thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would still prefer people in the room just because I work better bouncing ideas off of people. But we were able to do it. You know, we we, uh, we had the time to. They trusted us to get it done right. And it worked. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it for every show. But, you know, we, we had to get it done and we did. Evan, what was your favorite moment in the show for, for the dialogue edit, I guess? Probably his monologue was just such a masterful piece of work like from him. Like, I just think that's just an incredible moment where he can just hold everyone's attention for seven some, some odd minutes. It's, I think, just a spectacular, spectacular thing. And I also love, there's a scene, and I think it's the first, it's the second episode, where Richie's in the car with Sydney that first time, and he's talking to his daughter on the phone. And that's just because I found that very affecting because you just finally get the idea this is going to be a show where these characters reveal themselves to you. Nobody's a cardboard cutout, which is obviously something I don't like. Nobody likes that. He's just displaying himself in a way that's not that obvious. They don't lecture you. They just show you this is a guy with a heart. He's got some issues. And he's. I thought that was a really cool moment. Uh, and the thing about COVID, it was also interesting for dialogue because you know, in the past when somebody would say to me, you know, they're going to record this ADR in LA or in Chicago, it's, oh, great, I get to listen to this thing if I'm lucky on my headphones, but maybe on a cell phone, which has happened to me. And it's, like, it's almost like you're, there's no point for you being there. But the one advantage of COVID with this stuff is that every ADR studio I've been in contact with, regardless of where they are, even in Europe, they've all got cameras trained on the actors. They all have their Zoom thing worked out to a pretty good, you know, it's still not as good as you being there, but I would say it's it's actually useful to be, oh, this guy's going to do ADR in LA or Chicago because Jeremy Allen White was in Chicago. It's like, okay, well, almost as good. And in the past, it would have been just like, I might as well not even bother, but they would still want you there because you're supposed to sort of wave, you know, show the flag. Oh, I'm here. You could watch it pretty critically. Obviously, the sync's a little off, but you know, it's ADR anyway, so you just you have a general idea of what's happening. That was actually kind of a great thing on the flip side of that. Yeah, for sure. I love uh, the idea of, you, you mentioned the long monologue, and one of the episodes, a main character is sitting in a chair and just delivers this very emotional long monologue. And I like just in my head fantasizing about the Pro Tools session with Annie's Foley Q markers and just all of a sudden a big seven minute break <laughs> and then back to a thousand markers, a thousand markers. 
<laughs> That's pretty much how it was. There were a couple. There were a couple chair yeah, squeaks, so hand to lap, hand to lap, time. all of that. Yep. I was, I was like, yes. Oh, so I took out lap. every, I took out all the chair squeaks, and you put them back in. Okay, good. good. No, I, I got to say, Evan, you did a great job. I, I actually, um, I, I started counting. I'm like, how many edits, audio edits, are there in this unedited? I got to like a couple hundred, and I'm just like, okay, you did some work on this. Because wow. it's very easy to like over clean something like that. Um, or under clean it because you really don't want to be distracted, but you'd also don't want it to be lifeless. So I think Evan really, really hit that. I always notice the beginning of phrases because actors open, there's always that mm -hmm. like pop. There's always that yeah. sound right before they start to you know, open their mm -hmm. mouth. And then there's the, you know, there's just obviously, be, you know, pre-4RX when those noises were there, you just were like, well, that's too bad. Tough, you know, tough luck. But now you can clean everything, and so you have to kind of make a decision sometimes. Like that breath really should be in there. But you know that's that's a that's a funny thing because you think, oh, seven minutes, I'm good. It's the opposite. It's, it's like the Foley thing. Oh, here I have a seven. I don't have to do anything. But then you just really start to listen, and there's a lot going on in there. Um, and you don't nothing to hide behind, right? Would you have like air, and then maybe uh, a chair squeak, occasional chair squeak, right? Yeah, there was some off-screen like uh, chatter, and you know, deep church basement bar door closed, that kind of stuff. But yeah, not not a lot. We we took a lot of that. At the beginning, it's a little busier. And then as he gets in, it, it yeah. really tails off to just kind of air. It's the sale. Like it's, to me, it's like the climactic point of the of the series, right? Yeah, just definitely. nails everything into place. You're waiting and waiting. Like, what's this guy about? What's going on here? And then finally they tell you. Yeah, and he just I just thought that was masterful. So Steve, uh, you were the supervising sound editor, but uh, I'm assuming as a re-recording mixer, you didn't also cut everything. Who who is your uh, sound editorial crew? Yeah, we had uh, you know along with Annie and Evan, uh, we had a, our sound effects editor, sound designer John Fuhrer. Uh, he did a great job. He was actually on the pilot when none of us were, and then we had him along for the rest of the series. He did a great job, you know, building along with Annie's uh, foley and stuff. Put uh, a nice base layer in the kitchen of just clatter and 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 things like that, and then all of those transitions that dream sequence uh, where he's frying up his frozen dinner. And then, uh, you know, a lot of those those clock push-ins, he kind of just went with those. Uh, and then I think actually having seen some of the early episodes, they actually added a few more of those later on. They're like, oh, this is a great transition. Let's really, you know, let's really get into it. Um, so, yeah, he did a great job. John's just sliding you a 20 under your desk right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's actually right here. No, no, he's putting the knife down. He's putting the yeah. Knife down. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you know what's interesting? He worked in a kitchen, he told me, as well as the assistant, Craig, who also, these guys, I've never worked in a kitchen, but all of them who've done it said that it's really accurate. Like, it's literally that crazy. Amazing. It's hard oh, yeah. to believe that anyone, have you done that? Have you worked in a... Being in my mid-20s, I have a lot of friends that have worked in restaurants and have done their time. And um, all of my friends that watched this show and then heard I worked on it, they were like, oh my God, seriously? I got PTSD from that show. It's so intense. And my anxiety was through the roof. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> It was crazy. Yeah, my brother-in-law owned a restaurant for a little while, and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'll take as a compliment. He's like, yeah, no, I live that. I don't need to, I don't need to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking to me about this show. As I mentioned in the intro, I really enjoyed the show, and uh, you guys did amazing work on it. And I, I believe there's a season two coming, so I'm looking forward yep. to that. And uh, maybe we can talk to you about that after that airs. Thank you very much. It was great talking to you all. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks. Filmbenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. 
Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.